welcome to uh, the next version of On Further Reflection with Norm Allen. This time we're doing uh, a video version of our podcast. And the subject uh, for this particular edition is the opposite of faith is ingratitude. I was struck uh, just in this post-Thanksgiving season uh, by the story of the 10 lepers that yelled out to Jesus one day and said, please help us. And uh, in his response to them, he basically told them to go to the authorities to check out that they were going to be healthy. And on the way to that meeting, they all discovered that they suddenly were in full health. But only one of the 10 broke away from the pack and was overwhelmed with gratitude to God and expressed himself as he journeyed back to the one who had provided his health. And so he arrives at Jesus and falls on his feet and offers great thanks. And Jesus is amazed uh, that only one has returned. He said, where are the other nine? And at the end of the conversation with the fellow, he says to him, your faith has made you well. Now, all 10 were physically well, but this guy had a particular kind of wellness that really was the result of gratitude and his ability to be overwhelmed by the gift of something that he hadn't created himself, but he just had. And it struck me that in our culture, we are so overly provided for on so many levels that it's so easy to just assume everything is our own creation and we forget that gratitude to God is one of the foremost demonstrations of our faith and that the sense of entitlement and the, the sort of disgruntlement that's going on in our culture is a result often of a, an inability to be able to be grateful. For me, uh, it just happened to be a confluence of things because then as I listened to that story, I was reminded of Jesus' conversation at a, at a Pharisee's house and he was having lunch and a woman who had a terrible reputation wanders in and starts anointing him uh, with ointment and fragrances and washing his feet with her hair and doing this very sensuous kind of expression of love and affection to him. And the people look around with, you know, as, you know, what in the world do you, do you not know who this woman is? And, uh, and instead of responding to that immediately, he says to the Pharisee, whose name was Simon, Simon, there was a man who uh, was owed debts by two different people. One guy owed him 50 bucks and the other guy owed him 500 bucks. And uh, because neither of them had the money to pay him back, he forgave them both. So who was most grateful? And he said, the one who was forgiven the most. And, uh, and then he says, well, those who have been forgiven much love much. And then he goes on to speak to the woman and say, uh, your faith has made you whole. Uh, you're, 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 and it wasn't that she was forgiven uh, because she did the gratitude thing. She somehow intuitively knew she was already forgiven. And so she was just overwhelmingly grateful. 
And it was like her gratitude had made her well. And I think one of the things that's happened in our society is that we really do believe that we are entitled to a certain level of service, comfort, uh, no problems. And if there is a problem, somebody should fix it for us. And so we lose our capacity for wonder at even the smallest of things. Uh, you know, like a lot of times we say, okay, well, you're overwhelmed by a sunset or some great natural phenomenon, and that's, that's wonderful. But I think recapturing a sense of wonder at the fact that I'm alive, at the fact that I believe that there's a God who loves me, that I am forgiven. There's a prayer from my, my uh, a book by George McLeod, uh, that uh, a collection of his prayers, the founder of the Iona community, and uh, it's called Order of the Dance. And he said, indeed it is right. What else can we do any time, any place, than feel uplifted and warmed in our whole being, Father God? What else can we do than feel grateful? For we rem remember you, O Christ, the great reality, the sun behind all suns, you left your royal throne, left the realm of light to enter our common paths and grope for us in our darkness, just for us, common, sly, and prickly as we are, to lift us and soothe us and make us clean. We cannot put into words, but we try to say with our lips what we do believe in our hearts, that we really are so grateful that you were born in poverty and not privilege, and you jostled with evil and with filth and never got contaminated. And prayer goes on uh, at, at some length. But I think there's a core there that we forget that there is a God who has reached out to us in Jesus. And I love the phrase, um, common, sly, and prickly as we are. Because it's very easy for me to assume that I am superior to everybody else, that my righteousness is fine and yours isn't and so much of our political discourse so much of our discourse in our culture is i'm right you're wrong and that doesn't get us anywhere because the reality is i have a lot of things for which i have been forgiven i have a lot that i still need to be forgiven for i am sly and prickly and the fact that somehow god loves me and still somehow allows me maybe to do the odd good thing with my life should be a cause of wonderment and inspire me to fall down and say, I am so grateful that that's the case. And so it becomes an issue of perspective because I can't love if all I'm concerned about is my own comfort. And I can't love if I think that I'm entitled to hold on to everything. And so if I've been forgiven much or I've been given much, then theoretically, faith would then be the gratitude that is faith would then be the motivator to charity, to social justice, to, to caring for others, to, you know, trying to reduce my prickliness. <clears throat>
true that in my experience of the third world, uh, I have been overwhelmed by the capacity for people who seem to have nothing to be able to be grateful for the smallest of things. And that I am much more easily unsettled by discomfort uh, than somebody there. And so in many ways, it's not for me to say to them, it's for them to say to me, you need to learn gratitude for what you've got. And I can still remember years ago, we, uh, I think it was 1980, I was going to Zambia and Zimbabwe to do some youth training. And uh, we, we had an election going on at the time and John Crosby, the great Newfoundland orator had come to Orangeville, my hometown, uh, tubbing, tub thumping for the Tories. And basically he wandered up and down the stage yelling and screaming about what a horrible country Canada was. And we're all going to hell in a handcart. And the, you know, within 24 hours, I was on the streets of Lusaka where standing outside a, a general store where that particular day they had rubber boots and sugar and the next day they might have something else. And in the course of doing my training, I, I used a game and I brought some one side used paper and I, I was going to use a game that we use where we put people's names on a piece of paper and they made a paper airplane and then you threw it across the room and, you know, whoever got it closest to the garbage can won or whatever. It was some stupid, you know, crowd breaker kind of thing. And so I do this blithely unaware of what I'm doing. When the, when the game is over, everybody, without exception, went and got their paper airplane, unfolded it, and flattened it and put it in their book because paper was so precious, they were grateful to get a one side only piece of paper that I would have rolled up and thrown away. And so my capacity for gratitude has been dulled by the fact that I've actually, you know, I was, I'm a baby boomer born in the late forties uh, when Canada was on a roll. So life has, you know, the opportunities were unlimited for me. And what happens is I become assuming that this is supposed to be the way it is. And so anything that upsets my little apple cart becomes very disconcerting. So for me, really working at cultivating gratitude uh, is, is a spiritual discipline. And it becomes a, a demonstration, do I really believe there's a God who is at work in the world and that he gives generously to all? Like it's not because he gives the sun shines on the good and the bad. So it's not because I'm good or you or somebody else is bad. The sun shines on us all. The only difference is some people say thank you. And some people have a sense that that's a gratitude thing. Uh, that's not to say that when horrible things happen, when, when deep illnesses, economic, un, you know, reversals, uh, sexual abuse, all the things that we all see day after day that suddenly you say to someone, well, be grateful you're alive. But those people on their survival journey often are the people who teach you gratitude. If they want to have a conversation about how I understand God, and I'm happy to have a conversation with people around those issues and quite frequently I discover that people do have a sense that there is some undergirding uh, meaning or purpose or outcome to life that even somebody I read a book recently uh, that was essentially trying to debunk everything that I believe 
And uh, by the time it was done, essentially, if, he, if you put the word God in where he used the word evolution and the evolutionary cycle, you would actually have had the same thing. And so he had a deep faith that there was some evolutionary process that was advancing us as a human race and was advancing creation. And so I think that sometimes we end up in arguments about a God who we can't define. And, and, and so the issue now becomes, uh, you know, how do we actually view life? Do we think that there are, you know, is, there is some kind of outcome to it? I think the difference for me is that the God who has inter come into time in Jesus uh, says something very different than that we've got a, an absent God. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm not a believer that God intervenes all the time just to help us with every little thing. Uh, or else Jesus and his friends wouldn't have had the life they had because Jesus ended up on a cross. He was not saved from suffering uh, because he had a higher purpose. His friends ultimately uh, were, he, you know, as I've said to you before, uh, he was not as kind to his friends as he was to the lepers because he healed the lepers, uh, but his disciples ended up, you know, being arrested and in jail and executed and in exile and all that sort of thing. And so it becomes uh, how we grapple with the God who we, we believe in. Uh, I demonstrate my faith in that God if I'm grateful. Uh, I can make all kinds of claims, but I think the test of my faith, or one of the tests of my faith, is do I love and care out of a sense of gratitude, out of a sense that I have been given much, so therefore not just much is required of me, but much gets inspired from me because I have been overwhelmingly loved. And so, I, you know, in a sense, my job isn't to try to convince somebody else of that. My, my first priority is to listen to the God I say I believe in and in response to what I believe I have received, express gratitude through uh, the way I live my life. I spend a lot of time in the Gospels with the person of Jesus, and so I explore his story. So as we started this conversation today, it was triggered by my meditating on two stories from Jesus' life. And as I watched him interact with people, it then challenges me to think differently about my life. And so I can't, I find it hard to address the Father, even though that's part of what we do in praying the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus invites us to, to share our fatherhood with him and saying our Father. But I do find that for me, the God that I can see and revealed in Jesus Christ does help me understand the God that I can't see. And I would say the other thing that I have discovered over my lifetime, uh, the, God, uh, the epistles uh, from John, uh, at one point he says, how can you say you love the God you can't see if you don't love the people you do see? Uh, I've turned that on its head in my own experience, and I say I can only really experience the love of the God I can't see through the love I have received from people I can see. And so for me, a lot of my experience of life has been discovering that there are people who uh, have all kinds of questions and doubts and fears and not sure what they're doing. But when they look at the person of Jesus, they are drawn to him. And in meditating on his life, 
uh, looking at his stories, his interactions with people, it has a way of then shaping my conversations with him and my conversations with other people. And so it becomes my, my touchstone, to use a, uh, a word, uh, that allows me to test out what I'm thinking. And, uh, and it challenges me. The other day, uh, you know, he was, he, ch Jesus is chatting with some people about, uh, make sure your, your light is not in darkness and all that sort of thing. And I, you know, I'm sitting there going, okay, now I got Jesus, help me understand how I can actually experience light in my life, that there is light that demonstrates both the good and the bad, the things that you want to fix, the things that you need to help me with and, uh, and, you know, and help me experience that light. And so for me, it's an interactive thing with, the story of Jesus uh, that then allows me to feel like I'm, I've got a little bit of a connection point with this much larger cosmic story. And uh, that we do, you know, there's a line in one of the prayers in my retreat guide from a, from a Celtic, uh, a liturgy that we use. And it, you know, it talks about Jesus who entered time uh, and because words were not enough. And so again, I was raised in a very propositionally oriented culture. We are, we're a very wordy world. And so for much of my life, my journey has been trying to discover the incarnational God who revealed himself in Jesus and continues to reveal himself in people uh, ar around me. And so I, I believe that Jesus lives in skin and bone and he's at the table when I'm, when I'm sitting with people. So it's like practicing mindfulness. Uh, if it's just mindfulness about myself, that's one thing. If it's mindfulness or gra gratefulness or gratitude for the presence and action of God, even in the darkest of places, then that's a very different thing. And so yeah. the fact that I could can be with people when they are struggling and they ask me to be present to them, not to provide words, just to be present when they are sorrowful, when they have the accumulation of sorrow in their life. Uh, that is a gift from God uh, that ultimately we discover, uh, I think, uh, that the practice of gratitude is something that comes from practically spending a lot of time observing the life of Jesus because he spent a lot of time talking about to much you know, the one who is forgiven much loves much. And one of the challenges of the people that he was dealing with in his day was that they assumed they were right and that they were on top of the world and that they didn't have much to, they didn't express gratitude to God. Uh, they were assured of the certainty of their faith. And so he was trying to demonstrate to them over and over and over again, that gratitude, uh, that comes from humility, that comes from understanding that we are provided for emotionally by a God who loves us. And it's got nothing to do with our material goods. Uh, they, in fact, are things that get in the way of, of, of the sense of gratitude and the sense of wonder. Uh, it's about life. It's about love. It's about relationships. It's about justice. Uh, if I have been forgiven much, and I'm grateful for that, then that has to shape how I view those who are victims of injustice. Uh, it has to shape 
how I view those who are victims of abuse. And so it, it becomes uh, uh, the fuel out of which the rest of your life is energized. And so I can become very comfortable in myself and very self-indulgent, ultimately to my peril, and, uh, and ultimately then not to be particularly useful to those uh, who come across my path. Not so sure it will necessarily suppress doubt. Uh, I, I think, I, see, I'm not convinced that doubt is the opposite of faith. I think that doubt is demonstration that you take God seriously enough to question him or her. And uh, that somebody who has no doubts and has never thought about God or has no doubts and thinks they know all about God are in the same boat. And so I have lots of doubts, lots of times in the year. I have moments where I just wonder, you know, what if this just is, you know, it's been a waste of time because I, I was in a conversation with some guys at one point and, and they were saying, oh, isn't it lovely what you do? And they were all part of a YPO group. And uh, somebody had asked me to offer some thoughts to them. And, and they're going, well, I don't believe in your God stuff, but you know, you do help a lot of people. And I said, look, if, if what I do turn, if I, if Jesus Christ didn't come and live and die and rise again from the dead, I have wasted my time because I could have been doing something completely different that would have been much more uh, financially attractive to me. But the reality is I also am trying to guide people into a lie. So everything that I do tries to guide people towards Jesus. Well, if it turns out that's false, then I've thrown my life away. Well, I obviously demonstrated over the last umpteen years that I believe in it because our family has, in a sense, we've been, we've benefited richly, but we've made decisions that have been, been to, in some people's minds costly. And so the reality is I, I think that, but it doesn't mean that I don't have all kinds of questions. Uh, I've spent my life trying to expand my understanding of God. And uh, so it's, it's, I, I just, I just believe that if we work with God in trying to understand what are the grace notes? What are the kindnesses? Where is that sun? Where is that rain? Where is that hope that we receive in little measures day by day? Uh, that, and we find ways to be reminded that we are grateful. Uh, rather than just saying a grace at a table, stopping at the end of the meal and standing up and celebrating what we just had together at the table. Uh, rather than uh, just assuming everything is supposed to be uh, perfect, stop and celebrate the, the accumulation of years of love in a marriage or some small kindness from a grandchild. And so it's, it's, it's cult of, and then being able to turn around and say, God, thank you. Jesus, thank you. So there is an object for our gratitude. There is someone to whom to offer thanks. And so I think that's part of the, part of the process. And so my, my encouragement to us all is that in this culture of entitlement, of a desire never to have discomfort, uh, if something goes wrong to find somebody to just, you know, create a solution, I would encourage us to take time 
on a regular basis to look at the life of Jesus, his conversations with people, rich and poor alike, and how patiently he worked with people. Look at our own lives and see our prickly, sly nature and see how we have been kindly dealt with by God and find reasons to say thank you. And by accumulating gratitudes, I believe that we ultimately will then say out of being loved much, I will then love much in return. Out of being forgiven much, I will forgive others much. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer said, forgive us our sins and I got lots I need forgiveness for, which then motivates us to be forgiving of others. That's how communities of reconciliation and restoration develop. So let's work together at developing a consciousness that gratitude is an expression of faith uh, in the God who has come to us in Jesus.